how many people know what this is? Yell it out. Mixer, blender, anybody else? Eunice has the word, it's the tip of her tongue. Somebody, frother, frother, this is a frother. This is a frother. How many people love cappuccino or lattes? Oh man, I had, I had the best latte ever in Venice. If you're ever in Venice, have a latte. But if you can take the smell of the sewer and a, and a latte at the same time. But, so here, th- this is important. This is really important. If you like cappuccino, you like lattes, have you ever tried to make frothy milk without one of these or some kind of a tool, like whether you have the on-the-stove thing with the pump or you, maybe you have like one of those fancy machines, you know, your hand is not fast enough to froth milk, right? It just, I don't, I don't know, my hand's not fast enough to froth milk. And so you need one of these things. It's just impossible to froth milk without it. And if you want something like this, you need something like that to experience it. I think this is true of other things in life, right? I think like if you were to cut the grass and someone gave you long scissors, you'd be like, what's this? I'm not going to cut my grass with this, right? And if you wanted to, you know, if you wanted a smoothie and you didn't have a blender, you're you're probably not going to start using a knife and a fork and a spoon and a potato masher or something and try and create a smoothie. And if you want to boil water without a stove or fire, it's just, you get it, right? There's just certain things that you need, you want to do and there's necessary necessary tools or sources of energy that make it possible. And without it, it just seems impossible. And I wonder if we follow, if we fall into this trap when we follow Jesus. I wonder if we fall into this trap when we long to live a life that, that, that God is calling us to, or we long to discover God in a real way, or we long for God to use us in his mission, or we long to build, like here at Westside, we long to build a healthy community. And we often try, and I wonder if sometimes we fall into the trap of trying without the resources that God has given us. And God has given us an indispensable tool for life, for following Jesus, for mission, and for building community. And it's actually not a tool, it's a person. It's the Holy Spirit. Without him, you can't make a good cappuccino. (laughs) Kind of, you know. Um, I don't want to dumb down the Spirit, but you get what I'm saying here, right? Without the Spirit, it's it's impossible to grow into the person God is calling us to be. When we read the first followers of Jesus, we discover something so amazing about them, and we discover how they discovered this truth. And so if you've got your Bibles, I want to turn to, um, to Acts chapter 1, verse chapter 1, and Acts chapter 2. Uh, we're going to have some of the verses on the screen as well. And today we're going to kick off this, this series Uh, Today, as we mentioned in prayer, it's the day of Pentecost, and Pentecost uh, reflects the, the day when we read in scriptures that the Spirit of God came on his disciples, on his people, and the church exploded into the beginning and growth. And uh, we want to talk about that today. Now, interesting, because I've chatted with some people, and, and some of them said, oh, man, I'm really interested to hear what we're going to talk about. Like, what's Pentecost all about? Or, or we're talking about maybe the gifts of the Spirit. Or some people are like, thinking, like, wow, Dave, what are you going to say about that? You know, is this, is this something different or strange or whatever? And, and I think it's interesting that we have this curiosity around it, maybe because maybe we don't talk about it enough at Westside, 
Uh, maybe we don't, um, you know, look into those things into the scriptures enough. I'm not sure. Um, but my heartbeat today is really just to look into the scriptures and say, what was this first day of Pentecost like? And what does it mean for the church? What does it mean for you and I as a follower of Jesus? What does it mean for someone who's just searching and discovering who Jesus is? Maybe you're here today and this is like really fresh to you, even just coming to church, and you're thinking like, wow, what, like what the heck is all this about, you know? And it's okay because part of discovering who God is, is discovering that he's beyond you. He, you can't just control God. You can't just figure him out into nice little tiny pieces. There's more about him than you and I can just figure out in our own intellect. So let's read Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to 8. In my former book, this is Luke, the apostle who also wrote the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until that day, he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So just a quick, you know, before we move forward. Here's Luke telling us, I had book one, I have book two. I had book one about you know, the works and words of Jesus. And here's book two, and he starts us off in Jesus. He starts us off with Jesus because this book two is about Jesus. And it's not a sequel like a bad part two of a movie. You know, like they never make the sequel as good as the first movie. This is like, it's continuing. The story continues. It, it continues to move forward. It's not a refabrication of trying to make it better, you know? And so, so this, is, this is what Luke is doing here as he writes this, this uh, book of Acts and this history of the church rooted in Christ and the power of the Spirit. So here you are, verse 3. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So just pause. The disciples in their minds, they still have this framework, this mindset of like, what are you doing with us? What are you doing with Israel? Is this going to be the fullness? Is this going to be the completion of this? This is what's on their mind. But Jesus quickly, um, you know, kind of stops them in their track and then says this, it is not for you to know times or dates. The father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Father, as we look into this uh, beginning, just the beginning days and weeks of the early church and the coming of your spirit, God, we just invite you to intersect our hearts and minds. Uh, We welcome um, your revelation. We welcome your truth. We welcome your words to speak to us today. Um, We say this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here's Jesus. We, we get that he's been instructing his disciples. Luke tells us this. And one of the things that he did with them is he reminded them of what was already said to them. Now Luke tells us that, that Jesus said these words to the disciples post the resurrection in verse 4. In verse 4, he literally tells them, don't, uh, just wait for me. 
Wait for me. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. So he's telling them, don't do anything until this gift comes. Don't move forward in the things that I've instructed you on until this gift comes. He's telling them to wait for the Spirit, God's Spirit, to come before they make another move. In fact, if we go back to John chapter 14, verse 16 to 17, we read about this promise. Here it is. I will ask the Father, this is Jesus speaking, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. That's the promise, and that's what Jesus is saying. Wait for this. Wait for this to happen before you move forward. Why is that significant? Because he tells them in verse 5, he says, do you remember that there was this baptism that John gave in water? And we baptize in water. People are immersed in water as an expression of their declaration of faith. As they make a decision to follow Jesus, they get baptized. Jesus told his disciples, go and make disciples, teach them everything I've commanded you, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. So baptize them in the life of Jesus. So when someone gets baptized in water, it's a decision they're making as they have decided to follow Jesus, and they're doing it publicly. But Jesus says there's something different. There's a different kind of baptism. John's baptism was about repentance. But he says, wait, because there is a baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now this is huge because you can decide to get baptized and you can come around. We did this last summer. A few people got baptized uh, within our church community. We went into the water. It was their decision as they followed Jesus. We walked into the water. We baptized them. They, those people, as they made these decisions to follow Christ, had some control around that because they were deciding, responding to what God was doing in their life. Jesus is saying there's a different kind of baptism that you really don't, you, you don't decide, but it's part of what it means to follow Jesus. And so there's a baptism of repentance when we make a decision to change course in our life and follow Christ. There's a baptism of regeneration that only God's Spirit can do. One is intention, my intention to follow Jesus. The other one is this immersion that takes place by God's Spirit. And what he's letting them know is something new is about to happen. And this baptism is so vital for you. It's a baptism in the Spirit. And the purpose of all this, we find it in, in verse 8. Part of it is because they're, they're going to be on mission. Jesus has told them, go and make disciples. But he's letting them know that this is going to be a global thing. And he says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Think about that language. When the Holy Spirit comes on you. Again, this sense of just being, being overwhelmed by God's Spirit. You will receive power. Jesus tells them, when the Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. And here's the reason why. It's going to start in Jerusalem. It's going to go to Judea. You're going to reach Samaria. And then you're going to go out to the ends of the earth. So they're probably thinking, I can't make this cappuccino alone, right? They're like, I need, well, obviously we need something beyond our own capacity to do this. And this is Jesus' promise to them. This mission would be impossible by themselves. They will be immersed into God's very own spirit. And then out of that, this life and purpose and mission will flow. I remember hearing a popular jazz musician named Branford Marsalis. He was doing a, there was a 10-minute uh, video on YouTube of, of a latest album he created. And they were asking him, 
How do you just come to the table and play, like improvise the way you do, and, and you bring all these elements together? And there's this one line in the, in the video that I, always just struck me. One about music, but it, it relates to this a bit. He said, you know, in, in music, and especially in jazz, he said, you learn, this is his line, you learn a hundred years of jazz, and then he said, and then whatever. So you learn a hundred years of jazz, and then whatever. What he was saying is, you immerse yourself in a hundred years of music, a hundred years of chords and melody lines and progressions and, and improv lines, and then because you're so immersed in it, then you play whatever comes to your mind because now you're immersed. And in a way, that's part of what's, what's happening here. Jesus is saying, you need to be immersed in my spirit for you to go out on mission. So the Great Commission is go and baptize the nations, immerse them in the teachings of Jesus. But you can't immerse people in the teachings of Jesus if you're not immersed in the Spirit. I I wrote it this way for all of us. You can't immerse the nations into the way of Jesus unless you're immersed into his Spirit. So the Great Commission cannot be fulfilled unless followers of Jesus are immersed in his Spirit. So what did the disciples do after the resurrection? Luke says they waited. About 40 days, 50 days, they waited and waited because Jesus says, wait, wait. You will need something I'm going to give you that's been promised to you and you will understand why. Have any of you ever used a nail gun? Like a pneumatic pressure one? And have you ever put on molding with hammers and nails and then someone handed you a nail gun and you're like, why was I living this way before? You know, you're trying to put up something and you, you, you want to drill the hole first because you don't want to split the molding and you're holding that up and then you got to nail it in and then you, you know the nail sticking out so you need to nail whatever you call it, the little... Yeah, and then this is like charades. But then you, you end up punching it in and then you realize, I didn't hold that upright, it's crooked. But this nail gun, you're just tack, tack, tack. It's amazing the power that comes through. I think Jesus is kind of saying that like, guys, you're not going to be able to do this with a hammer and nails. But wait for the the pneumatic pressure gun. (laughs) Um, So let's see what happens after they wait. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Interesting, in Greek, Greek, pneuma means spirit, so pneumatic. Anyways. So here we go. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. So this is what they've been waiting for. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them, there's about 120 there, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I mean, if the resurrection didn't blow their mind already, right? This is 50 days later. If the resurrection didn't kind of already say, wow, this is crazy. 50 days later, this happens. It's just amazing. This promise is fulfilled. The Father's gift arrives. The Holy Spirit shows up. The 120 disciples that are filled in this upper second floor apartment in Jerusalem are caught up in God's power and presence and they experience something so very new. And it's just like Jesus promised. They are immersed into it. 
Luke's language. Now, Luke is not a fluffy writer. Luke is the kind of writer that, that could be reviewed in, in, uh, you know, in, in literature magazines and things like that. He was a historian. So he paid attention to detail and what took place and how things took place. And of course, he couldn't tell you every little detail because that would take pages and pages. But he gave us the important pieces. And he tells us that a wind from heaven comes in this room and everybody experiences it. It was an immersion it was an emerge, immersion, wind, fire, tongues. It's beyond them. It's not something they could manufacture. It's not something they could create. It's not something they could plan. It's not something they can just put together. God was present and God was doing something. And, and it's, it's the sense that God was in the room. Now Luke makes sure that we know that this happened on a specific day. And it happened on this day called Pentecost Day. Now, as soon as I say that word Pentecost, some of us link up to a modern movement within Christianity that's called Pentecostalism, which is about 100, 120 years old only. This text is 2,000 years old. Pentecostalism is 100, 120 years old. Now, we, can, we automatically maybe link to that, and maybe right off the bat we're thinking, what does this mean? Is this Pentecostals? Is this the charismatic movement? Is this these kind of churches? If you're new here today, it's your first time here, thinking, I've heard that word before, but it didn't sound good. <laughs> um, and, and, but, the, but the reality is, first of all, our Pentecostal brothers and sisters are great, and we live, we live and breathe within, within the, the, church, the global church, and there's many different uh, you know, groups under the umbrella called the church, and we're grateful for that. The family of God is wide and broad, and we, we welcome and learn from each other, and it's a wonderful thing. But what we're talking about here with Pentecost is something that happened 50 days after Passover. It was a festival that took place 50 days after the Passover. Now, for the first century Jew, it was an agricultural festival at that time. They, what they would do is they would give the first fruits of their labor, of their crop or their work, and they did it out of gratitude to give this to the Lord on this day of Pentecost, and then they prayed and hoped and believed that God would bless the rest of their work. So a first century Jew would consider it more of an agricultural festival and, and a sense of gratitude to God and blessing for their work to continue. Uh, an ancient Jew would have considered it a little bit different. For them, it was something that literally took place 50 days after the Passover when Moses comes down from the mountain on Mount Sinai and gives Israel the law. So imagine Israel is this newly redeemed people. For years they've been slaved, slaves. For years they've been oppressed. Now they're 50 days out of their oppression and God gives them the law and says, I'm going to help you live. I'm going to help you breathe. I'm going to help you learn to be a community. I'm going to help you to understand what life is all about. And so God empowers them with the law to live this brand new redeemed life that was very new to them. That was very new to them. So Luke ties this together. And anyone there would have understood, anyone at the time and reading this would have understood what he was talking about. And he ties these things together. This sense of the first fruits, that first century Jewish understanding, someone giving their first fruits to God and believing God's going to bless their work moving forward. It's in a sense the apostles and those 120 disciples are receiving the first batch of the Spirit are receiving, in a sense, God's first delivery. And knowing God's going to be with them continually. God's going to continue to walk with them. God's presence is going to continue to be with them. 
But when you tie in the ancient Israel understanding of Pentecost, uh, Moses coming down from the mountain, giving this new law, you have this image of also Jesus who ascends to heaven after the resurrection and sends his spirit. Why? Because his redeemed people need to learn how to live. His redeemed people need to understand what this new life is going to entail. And as Israel received this new law after being redeemed from Egypt, God rescues them and says, I'm going to help you live. Here's the spirit now. This not literal law, but a law of the spirit prophesied from prophets like Ezekiel and Jeremiah that said, the law will be written on your heart and it will no longer be a heart of stone, but it will be a heart of flesh. And I will teach you and lead you and guide you and you will hear my voice. And here on that specific day of Pentecost, they receive this new life of the Spirit. And God is giving them the power to follow him, the power to live this life. What they need. But it's beyond those metaphors. Because you don't want to just reduce it to first century Jewish understanding and ancient Jewish understanding. It's beyond the metaphors. And I think Luke helps us get this when he tells us an actual wind comes in this place from heaven itself. And what he's wanting us to know is that God was in the room. God was in the room. And as he describes what seems like pockets of fire on every person's head is this sense that God is coming upon his people, coming upon his disciples. That God is not just empowering one person, God is empowering all people. That God is not just going to strictly work with one person, God is going to work with all people. And all people are going to be, be able to receive God's spirit and hear God's voice and live life in an empowered way. And I love that sense that everybody, just the image of, of tongues of fire on everybody's head is the sense of everybody everybody. The Spirit is for everybody. The Spirit is for everybody. And they get swept up, and we need to get swept up beyond our interpretations, beyond our theological opinions, beyond our presuppositions, to get swept up in just in this moment for a second to realize God was present in the room. He was living and active. So at Pentecost, God is up to something beyond anything we could manufacture, anything we could produce. I love what N.T. Wright says about this. It's on the screen. He says, when it comes to Pentecost, it's far more important that you're out there in the wind, letting it sweep through your life, your heart, your imagination, your powers of speech, and transform you from a listless, lifeless believer into someone whose heart is on fire with the love of God. N.T. Wright is, a, you know, is an Anglican bishop and a professor with two or three PhDs. You, you, know, you might think, like, when, you, when I read that first line, get out there with the wind. You might, that might be like, what are you talking about? That sounds so loosey-goosey. What does that mean, you know? And yet, like, I love the idea that, that even someone who would be the Anglican bishop of Durham and a couple of PhDs and knows Greek inside and out or whatever, has this sense that even with all his education you cannot put God in a box. That God is beyond us. Let's get swept up 
Let our lives be swept up in him, our heart, our imagination, our speech to transform us. And if this is how you feel, maybe you feel like a listless, lifeless believer. But God wants to transform us into a heart that is on fire for God. A heart that is on fire for God. And the result is is amazing. I'm just going to read it. Just listen, it's not on the screen. Now they were staying in Jerusalem after this takes place. God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Which could be understandable, right? You're like, what's this noise coming out of this second floor apartment in Jerusalem? And why do I hear my language being spoken? See, they've come for the day of Pentecost. They're coming from all different cities and regions. And although they, they might all know Greek because, you know, the Greek culture has already been influencing for three or four hundred years at that time. But they're hearing the wonders of God in their own language in their own vernacular from their own city and their own region god is doing something amazing and they're realizing it now some of them obviously are saying this can't be normal maybe they're drunk but of course peter will get up later and peter will follow up with this miraculous moment and explain to people what has just happened and and usher people into an understanding of jesus and the gospel and that day three thousand people come to faith in christ 3,000 people begin following Jesus. Not everybody, but 3,000 people hear the wonders of God in their own language. Then Peter explains the gospel to them, invites them to believe and repent and be baptized, and 3,000 people respond. That's God at work. That's God at work. What do we want to maybe say around this as we try and wrap up this week's Maybe a couple of things. One is, first of all, next week we're going to look at some, you know, what are some experiences of this? After the Spirit comes on this day, the church really grows in the power of the Spirit. Like, you could, you could call the book of Acts the works of Jesus part two. You could call the book of Acts the acts of the apostles. You could call the book of Acts the acts of the Holy Spirit. So I think we should put it all together and say the book of Acts is rooted in Jesus God working through the apostles in the power of the Holy Spirit, all coming together. And we will see the church at, moving forward, moved by God's Spirit, led by God's Spirit. And Paul has some teachings as the church grows to the, to the churches he's writing to about how do the gifts of God's Spirit work? How does this, not just the gift of the Spirit, but then the gifts the Spirit gives us by His grace to be a church to serve one another, to love the world. How does that work? We're going to look at that in the next couple of weeks. But for today, let's kind of just bring it to a couple of thoughts. First thing, we got to admit, something supernatural happened. I mean, when you, if, I love how the church calendar works. You know, it's Advent 
and then Epiphany, and then there's Lent, and then there's Easter, and there's Easter tide. You're living off the resurrection, and then there's the day of Pentecost. There's three supernatural, big supernatural days in the church calendar. Jesus was born miraculously, virgin birth. Jesus resurrected from the grave miraculously. The Holy Spirit comes miraculously. It, this was supernatural. This is not something we can fabricate. So let me just, just probe this question for you, but for me too. What kind of faith do you want? What kind of faith do I want? Do I want a faith that I can just wrap up in a, in a, a nice logical box that I, you know, like algebra, and I can figure all that out? And okay, God, perfect, I got you figured out. That is awesome. Now how can you work for me? Is that the kind of faith we want? Or do we want a faith in a God that really, truly is beyond us? Now, if you, for you, those of you who know me, maybe you're here for the first time, and you're like, first message is about the work of the Spirit. But you, most of you know I'm not an extremist type of guy. I'm, not, I'm pretty calm and conservative. But I can't believe for one minute that I serve a God that is not beyond me, that I serve a God who I can control, that I serve a God who I can put in a box. It's impossible. What kind of faith do you want? What kind of faith do I want? I was picking out a bush for, my, for one of my gardens, and uh, this kind of vacant space became available. So, um, so anyways, I wanted something because it's shady, and I wanted something red. So I go to the garden center. I'm like, give me a red. I want a red plant leafy shade though i need shade so they bring me to the barberry plants you know i don't know if you've heard of the barberry plants and some of them have little thorns and that's okay because i'm not going to walk by it but so so anyways the cool thing is some of them they can come like in this mound version like when this grows it's going to look like a ball but then there was one that just it was wild it was just like kind of had all these shoots and i and they said this one's kind of unique because you really don't control it. You're not meant to control it. And I thought, I like that one. I, want the, I don't want the controllable one. I want the one that kind of will go in different directions. And I think when we think about our faith, do we want that perfectly shaped, I'm going to manicure this type of faith mound plant? Or, or are we okay to say, God, you're beyond us, so what, wherever you want to lead this thing, I'm cool with it. And I think, I think deep down in our hearts, we want that kind of faith. Humanly speaking, we lean towards, let me shape this thing, let me make it look like me. But deep down inside, I think we long for more. Same thing with relationships. If you want a relationship, a friendship, but you say, let's have the friendship as long as you are exactly like me, you'll never have a really great friendship because you'll never find the beauty in that person. So it's supernatural, and let's allow God to be God. We can't box God up. Here's the thing. We read this, and we might say, but I thought God works in quiet and subtle and soft ways. Or you might say, God only works in soft or quiet ways. Some of you might say, God only works when someone preaches a sermon, or God only works when we're here on a Sunday, or God only works when we do this specific thing. But man, Luke says, wind and fire shook up their view of God. It messed up their expectations. They realize they can't put God in a box. Now, let me tell you, God often works quietly. God often works subversively. God often works behind the scenes. But he also works suddenly and loudly. Now, unfortunately, some Christian groups in the world only emphasize the loud and sudden. It's like, that's the only way God can work. And if, I, if it's not loud, if it's not spontaneous, if it's not explosive, then I don't want anything to do with it because they're, they're drawn to that maybe. But... And that's, that's putting God in a box too. That's saying that's the only way God works. 
No, God works in both ways. God works in loud and sudden ways. God works in soft and subtle ways as well. And we can't say that God only works this way or only works that way. But if you're only looking for a God of soft and structured, then you're also putting God in a box. And if you're only looking for a God of loud and sudden, then you're putting God in a box. Next thought. Pentecost is for all Christians. It's for all believers. All Christians derive their meaning from Pentecost. If you're a follower of Jesus here today, if you consider yourself part of the local church, your roots are in Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, that's how the church started. The church started by the work of God's very own spirit. So all Christians derive their meaning from Pentecost. Another thought, it's needed for mission. How did a group of 120 people, some afraid, some confused, many were uneducated, how did they become a force in their world to see thousands of people come to Jesus and the whole Roman Empire reshaped because of God's work? Peter, filled with the Spirit later, we read, stands up and and speaks to a crowd that's hostile. Paul becomes a person who plants churches by the power of God's Spirit from a person who used to persecute churches. Believers stand up in boldness when people are threatening their own lives. That happens because they were filled by the Spirit. Their greater, their capacity was not their own. And so I want to just say this in this sense. There's a greater capacity for each and every one of us for your work, for your life, for your relationships, for our mission, for our church. There's a greater capacity because God's Spirit is at work and He works beyond us. And maybe here's the last thought, and then we're going to pray. I want us to discover God's love at Pentecost because this is beautiful. We just have to pause and just reflect on this. This was God's gift. God, like a father, promised this gift and he came through on his promise he loves his people he loves his kids he loves his family and he promised to send another comforter another advocate jesus told us that and here's god the father coming through on his promise why because he loves you because he loves me because he loves the world this is god's love god's fulfilled promise God is a father who keeps his promises. God is a father who loves you, who loves me. So here's why, how we're going to close today. I'm going to give you a chance. A, we're going to put up a verse on the screen, and, and it's a prayer. Because I want us to just start here. And it's really a prayer that I didn't make up. It comes from Jesus. And so, and it tells us about God. And, and I want us to read it together. And then I want us to close in our gathering today the start of this few-week reflection and pray it and keep it on our minds and hearts. If you then, though you are evil, he's speaking, Jesus is speaking, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Isn't that an amazing prayer? Jesus is just really, he's just laying it out there. He says, if, if even some of the worst dads will give good gifts to their kids, how much more will your Father in heaven not just give you gifts, but give you the gift, give you the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So why don't we end today just by asking, saying, Spirit, God, we, we welcome your Spirit. 
Let's stand as we do this and take a moment to pray and seek the Lord. Bless your name, Jesus. Steve, I don't know if you want to come back. Bless your name, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe you just need a moment, even just reflecting on that line that's underlined. Maybe you don't believe it. Maybe you need to grow in that belief. Will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I believe it's true. Jesus said it. Comes through on his promises. Let's welcome him as we pray. Yes, Jesus. So maybe take those words and just make them your own. Turn them into a prayer. Turn them into a request. here today and you feel you don't know Jesus or you're not following Jesus but this prayer just jumps out at you as something you want to pray then I believe that desire to pray this prayer is a desire to follow Jesus the desire to pray that God would give you his Holy Spirit is a desire that you have in your heart to know Jesus to know God through Jesus to know the fullness of his presence and if you have that desire then I invite you maybe as a first step to just tell that to God first say Lord I want to follow Jesus I want to do that first part of repentance and walk in your way and follow you some of the songs we sang today reflected on the cross the debt paid for us on the cross the sin and death conquered on the cross Jesus did that for you so you can be in relationship with him. And all he invites us to do initially is to respond to his invitation, to follow him, to trust him. And then there's this promise that as we do, God wants to give us his spirit. So maybe you need to say that prayer first today. And in doing so, you're really saying, God, I want all of you. Because he longs to give you his spirit. Father, I pray for anyone in this room right now that longs for this prayer to be true in their life but doesn't know you personally. Lord, would you reveal in such a powerful way how much you love them and how they can come to you in Christ. God, as they maybe even right now are sharing a prayer, are talking to you and telling you that they want to follow Jesus. We just we celebrate that. And know that as they do that, you're going to flood their hearts with your love and your grace. Father, Father, all of us, and I just, I put myself first here, God. I long to pray this prayer with sincerity. I don't want to put you in a box. I don't want to manipulate or control you. I know, I, I know I desperately need you as I follow Jesus, as I desire to be on mission with you, as I desire to see our church become a church that honors you and, and encourages one another, a church that ministers to each other. God, it's impossible without your spirit. So, Lord, I ask you 
I ask you, God, for your spirit. I welcome what you've already promised. God, may Pentecost be not just a reminder, but a reality for us. And so we say welcome to your spirit in our lives, in my life, in our church. And God, as we go about this week, may this prayer that Jesus gives us, may it be at the front of our lips, at the front of our minds, in the eruption in our hearts, Lord. Just welcoming, welcoming, welcoming the gift of your spirit because you are a good father and you love us and you stay true to your promises. May we trust you with this, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.